Hey everybody, this is episode 47 of Dirt Tracker Conversations. One of the coolest projects I worked on in my time with the World of Outlaws was the Open Red podcast. From 2016 to 2020, me and the video guy for WRG, Ross Weiss, co-hosted 190 episodes featuring a who's who of sprint car racing, including every series champion, some greats of the sport, today's stars, and a lot more. We also did some crazy stuff like put Ross in a midget at the Chili Bowl with the help of our listeners. In the year I've been gone from World Racing Group, Ross has now also moved on, and today the show is hosted by Rob Blount and Nick Graziano. This time on Conversations, I wanted to do a reunion of sorts and get the band back together. Ross joins me to chat about his new video guy job in the NASCAR world, and we also talk a bunch about Open Red and the current state of dirt racing. I've spent a lot of time sitting around microphones with Ross, and it was fun to catch up on things. Please enjoy the show. We are back together again. Um, it's weird Reunite. to say that. What's that? Reunited. Reunited. It's weird to say that, though, because like I see you pretty regularly now. Being as how you're, you're on week. my side of things, yeah. After all of these years, well, um, what'd you call it? The 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 dark side. The dark side. Yeah. For all of the dirt racing people, I feel like it's pretty easy to like crap on NASCAR. So it's like it's that was the easy thing to say was that it was the dark side. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, uh, tell everybody what you've been doing. And it, I, I left World Racing Group in June of 2020, and then you lasted a few more months longer than me. But when did you leave, and what are you doing now? So like end of January was, was my last uh, days with World Racing Group. And fe February 1st, I started with uh, Stewart House Racing, uh, also here in Concord, North Carolina, in the Kannapolis area, uh, as their video con content manager. So I, I, I was one of about four new hires they, they made all at once towards kind of bringing in-house their social content digital efforts um, to, to have the, the, those eff efforts to offer uh, all of the, the great partners that, that Stuart Haas has to kind of have the, this in-house content arm to, to be able to, to do things like video production and graphic design without going to some outside source. So, you know, you don't go to all the races, but you come to a lot of the races. When you're at the racetrack, what are you doing? I like the, the way it kind of looks to me is that, you know, we always talked on Open Red about when you would go to the track and do cool ship patrol. And that's kind of what it feels like you're doing at the track now. Yeah, that's it's it's very much the the same thing. We I've I've been using the word cool ship patrol inside the walls of Stuart Haas all, all already too. But um, it's a lot of that, you know, providing content that gets used on social media uh, during during the race and stuff that we use for video pieces throughout the week as well. So kind of just building up that B roll library every every week for you know uh, each of our partners, each of our drivers, kind of having that library in in house of you know, good footage of, of drivers and crew chiefs and sponsor logos we can call on depending on what, uh, what video needs may dictate it. Uh, similarities and differences between dirt and NASCAR, Stuart Haas and world racing group. Like what are things that like really stand out to you as different as you've kind of jumped into this new world? Uh, the, the first thing, and I, I told this to a few people when I started, but obviously like you're, I made the the transition from seven years working for the series with the world of outlaws and now working for a team racing within a series. So kind of learning to operate within that kind of smaller sandbox that, that NASCAR kind of puts its, its teams in and everything. Cause at the outlaws, I for more or less kind of just had free reign to go and do whatever I, I pleased when I was at the, the racetrack. So learning to operate within you know, their, their rules and their expectations when at, at the track, I had a, at a NASCAR event is, 
sometimes frustrating, but also kind of oddly intriguing at times trying to learn how to, how to, to prosper and thrive within that kind of smaller box. What kind of stuff are you, I mean, like you're not doing like on track stuff, right? Like you're doing more kind of behind the scenes stuff, stuff with the drivers, things like that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more like, you know, shots on pit road, shots of the crew chiefs, uh, you know, drivers getting in and out of the cars before and after the race. But so it, it's stuff to where then when a Hunt Brothers Pizza or a Rush Truck Centers, you know, you know, comes and says, hey, we need a quick shot of Chase Briscoe, you know, getting in the car to use for something. We, you know, we've got something in, in, in-house that we can send them real, real quick to use for whatever needs they, they may have. Um, are the tools similar? Are you using the same software, same cameras? Like, I mean, are you, are you kind of doing a lot of the same things actually like in terms of the video itself? Yeah, I, I was, um, one of the, it's, it sounds like an in, insignificant change, but I, I did most all of my editing work on like Apple and Mac computers at the outlaws. And I'm working on like a, a, like a PC laptop now at Stuart Haas. So kind of relearning how like a lot of the the keyboard shortcuts work and my editing software and everything on a pc versus a mac because I, I still kind of find myself getting frustrated pressing a key combination i think is supposed to work and um takes me four or five times to realize oh because that's supposed to be this other combination um but just kind of little stuff like that but for the most part you know, i've got like a little bit new newer version of the same camera so like the the buttons are in the in the same place and i kind of I felt very comfortable with their camera equipment pretty quick from uh, day one, for sure. Uh, what's it like working in a cup shop for the first time? And obviously a place like Stuart Haas, it's a big building. They've got sort of the building next door for the Formula One team. And, and there's cup cars and Xfinity cars and drivers in and out and pit crew practice, all these things. What's it like from your perspective to, to work inside a cup shop? Uh, it's a, I mean, uh, a, a, a lot of it so far for me has been relationship building just because they're there is so many people there and I'm kind of the, the new guy walking everywhere with a cam- with, with a camera. And if, if there's one thing that a lot of the engineers and very smart people we have on our campus don't like, it's the fear of cameras giving away some of their uh, kind of pro- proprietary uh, speed secrets. So just, um, but it's, it's, you know, building a lot of great relationships all already, but um it's it's cool because there's just there's always something going on so be it be it pit stop practice out behind the building where our, our offices in the partnership marketing department are in that f1 building on campus so you've got to walk across the parking lot to go get over to the cup shop and everything and um you know there's 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 pit stop practices there's something going on in 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 the hauler bay it's just it just you're just daily you are immersed in the sounds and smells of racing and that's that's really cool as you kind of, you know, meet people and, and be a part of the community there at Stuart Haas and then also kind of the greater NASCAR community, one of the things that I love is like all of the kind of side conversations that end up happening about dirt racing and the people that know what I've done in the past and know what I still do that approach me. Have you had that same experience? Oh, absolutely. Like even like my day one in the cup garage for me was the Bush Clash back at Daytona this year. And, you know, NASCAR kind of had all of us content people like assigned to an individual team to, to kind of start off at, at the beginning of the year. So my day one in, in the garage, I was assigned on the, the, the four car with all of Harvick's guys and Ronnie Childers and Cheddar Smith, the, the car chief over there. And 
everyone had kind of warned me ahead of time that like that was one of the hardest groups of guys to to get in with because they've all been together for so long and but I kind of walked up to the car first thing in, in inspection and uh Cheddar who's just a, a funny funny guy who's Harvick's car chief big like, chili hey, bowl fan he's like hey who are you who are you and uh Ronnie Childers goes hey he's the one that came from the world of outlaws and Cheddar goes oh no shit and then it was just uh so he, he and I've gotten along pretty well so far but um, it's just like, even just this, this past Sunday at Coda, like, I'm sure you had the, the, the same thing when we were there in Austin, but if I had a dollar for every person that came up to me on Sunday in Coda and went, dude, how about Dave Blaney? Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, it was, it was so cool. Just the amount of people that were so pumped for him in the cup garage and that, that, that keep up with not just outlaw racing, but all kinds of dirt track racing on a weekly basis. Yeah. Cheddar actually, I've known Cheddar a really long time. Cheddar was the gas man uh, way back in the day when I pitted the nine car. So I've known him a long time and he's a big chili bowl guy. He's, he's been a chili mm-hmm. bowl a few times and he, is big, a big he, fan of that. You know, I've stood and talked chili bowl in the shop a few times. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, you know, now that we're kind of away from things, your kind of perspective changes a little bit and, and we've seen, things move and, and change even in the, you know, the, the, the year and almost a year now that I've been gone and, and, you know, the couple of months that you've been gone, um, open red, for example, obviously we start this thing and it grows big and it's, you know, at this point, I'm sure is probably approaching pretty close to 2 million downloads. I would, I would assume. Um, and I, I'm wondering what you think of, kind of the legacy of open red and, and kind of watching it continue after, you know, we're not there anymore. And, and obviously you had to do it after I left with a new partner and then now, you know, Rob and, and Nick kind of carrying on the legacy, but, but what is your kind of view of things now that you're on the outside? It was really weird. Those first few weeks after I left, when I would listen to the show and, you know, still hear the same intro and everything. And then it, it was somebody else's voice doing the, you know, welcome to the show after that. But, you know, Rob and Nick have been doing great. Um, I'm be lying if I wasn't a little pissed that they somehow managed to get Carlton after uh, that was I, bullshit, so man. To, to get him on the show, so that's what um, I said. Me and me and you loosened him up so that they could end yeah, up getting him. I was I, I was more than a little offended that he finally did it with them and wouldn't do it with us. Yeah. But uh, uh, no, I'm I'm incredibly proud of what you and I were able to to build in the what was it four years we did that show and. Um, I think it was kind of one of the, just those right place, right time kind of deals when we started that podcast. And uh, we got to do a lot of just incredible storytelling and, and I forgot how to word, but like preserving of an oral history of the sport. I, you know, if I did nothing else during my time in sprint car racing, I think you and I will forever be the guys that got the interview with Carl Kinzer. <laughs> um, so that, 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 that's something that I will always carry with me throughout my career. I, I feel like the one thing, like when I look back on it and, you know, we always talked about, you know, who was that next big guest we were going to get. And I, on some level, I feel like we kind of got to the point where we dang near talked to just about everybody we wanted to talk to. There's still a couple of names out there that I would have liked to have gotten, but I mean, we talked to every champion, we got Carl, you know, we had, you know, some incredible names o- over the course of it. And, I, and I'm wondering if if you have any like and I, regrets isn't the right word, because I think we did a, like most of what we kind of set out to do. But is there anything that you wish we would have done that we didn't get to? I don't the, <laughs> I, I will say the one thing that comes to mind that I know we talked about literally the whole time we did that show 
that we never got around to was like a deep dive into the history of the gum out support series. So I know we talked for years about trying to talk to, you know, but just the, the sheer number of people that you would have to go reach out to, to kind of piece a show together, to, to accurately tell the, the history of, of that, um, which would have been an enormous un, uh, undertaking. And I, I'd, I'd say that that's the one that maybe first comes to mind about things that I know we talked about several times, but never, never just got the time around to get dove into it. Yeah. I was super stoked after I left and you guys ended up getting Dion Hindi because I knew that that was one that me and you had talked about a few times. And so the, for the fact that you guys actually went out and, and made that happen, I was super hyped about that. Um, in terms of the show and its impact, you know, when, when you kind of are at the racetrack and I know you've been to, you know, to the dirt track at, at this point, you know, since you've left, do you still get people kind of approaching you and asking you open red questions and talking about things? Like I know me and you both still get mentioned in tweets and things like that on, on social media, but do you still have people kind of approaching you about the show? I haven't really just no short of those Twitter interactions. I, I, I really haven't had anything. Like I said, I've, I've been to two or three outlaw races this year so far, but I really haven't, haven't had anybody mention it in, in that regards. No. Because the, the interesting thing is like, I've had people like I've had the tweets. I've also had DMS. I've also had people approach me at the track about, about that and what I'm doing now. And it's, it's interesting the impact that that show had. And, and, you know, it, I always say like, when you go back and listen to it, it's so funny to go back and listen to some of the early episodes because what we started out to do is not what we ended up doing. We started out where it was basically just going to be me and you. And then we were going to have guests occasionally. And then the more we did it, the more we realized that nobody really gave a shit about what me and you had to say that it was more about, (laughs) it was the best revelation we ever had. Yeah. It was more about who we could get and how much fun we could have with the people we got. But I think it's interesting that, you know, it, it's, it's fun to watch it kind of continue on and, and that like the kind of open red brand is so powerful, even to this, you know, moment that other people can take over the show and, and it still goes on, but um, it's definitely something I'm super proud of. And honestly, like why I'm continuing to do what I do with my own stuff is because of that. And, and, you know, when I left, it was like, as I looked back on it, I was like, man, I really enjoyed that part of it. Like, I think I'm going to get back into that just because I, I liked it that much. Um, and I'm wondering, like, is there a point in the future where, like, we're going to see you do something like that? I mean, are we going to see your face on things with Stuart Haas? Or, I mean, are you just trying to be behind the scenes at this point? I've, I've, you'll hear my voice occasionally on Stuart Haas's weekly podcast already. I kind of do the the editing for, for that for them and uh, inevitably sit in, in the room and kind of run the soundboard for them when they have, uh, when they do all of their recording. So, um I'll inevitably wind up getting called upon to talk about some tracks had experience from, you know, Jake or Nook or, you know, one of the guys there on, on that deal. But I haven't, I haven't had a huge desire to, to kind of dive back into some of that. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to use a phrase like I got a lot of that out of my system uh, doing open red, but um, I mean, I just think, and I, I know you, you can speak to it from our, our open red experiences and from I'm sure doing, dirt tracker here weekly but folks just the amount of weekly effort required to to find a name to have on the show to do your research to have intelligent questions lined out ahead of time to ask them is just is i think people greatly un underestimate what goes into getting some of these shows on the air week weekly and um it's it's not a small task to to provide this content to people week in and week week out 
Yeah, I've had, you know, a few people because, you know, doing the daily is like one of the probably the dumbest things I've ever decided to do in my life <laughs> to put out and like even 10 minutes, like, I mean, most of them are eight to 12 minutes, but I'm literally at my computer for probably three hours a day just to put together those 10 minute episodes. And, and then, you know, on top of that, doing it, you know, trying to do a conversation episode every week, which, you know, takes 30, 45 minutes or an hour to record. And then because I'm an idiot and I want to do a podcast and the YouTube show, I then have to edit both and like, you know, and, and, you know, something that I, you know, watch you do millions of times as watching blue bars fill up as things rendered out. Yep. I'm now sucked into that with premiere and all of these things mm -hmm. that I have now on my computer to make all the after effects and all of this stuff. And it's like, it's so much work. And the only, the, like, really the only reason I'm able to do it is because I don't work at World Racing Group anymore. <laughs> and, and my tire changing, you know, allows me a lot of free time during the week that I can do this. But I spend like way too much time sitting at this computer to try to make all of this stuff happen. And it's like, it's so much fun when you finally get to hit publish and people get to see what you're doing and, and you know, you get that reaction. But like, in the meantime, when you're sitting here for two hours, like watching bars fill up, it's like, this is really stupid sometimes. Well, I, I, I think I, I've, told you several times when we work together at the outlaws, but I've, I, I've always joked video editing is only about 30% like actual time spent working and 70% just staring at your screen waiting for various colored bars to, to fill up. Yeah. When it's like, it's so bad because you have like, you edit the video and then, then you have to put it on YouTube and it takes, you know, 45 minutes for it to upload to YouTube. And then you have to wait for it to process on YouTube before you can actually publish it. And then I got to go back in the audio and put the podcast together. So I got to do editing there, then upload it. And then, you know, I got to update the XML feed and I got to put it in my data. Like there's always things. <laughs> and it's like, nobody realizes like how much work all of that stuff is. But um, how much are you still talking to people at World Racing Group? Oh, I still, I, I text with Brian Dunlap damn near every, every day of the week still. Cause he's, I, I've, I mean, I never hesitate to tell people he, he wasn't just a, a boss or a supervisor when I was there, but he's one of my best friends in the world. So I don't go too long without talking to him or, or, or Chris Owens or, or, or any of the guys there. And I'll inevitably every couple of weeks wind up at lunch with them still. Cause I'm, I'm not that far up the road from world racing group at Stuart Haas's shop. Rosario's is kind of right perfectly in the middle there. Yeah. We still wind up at Rosario's or me Pueblo or any of the same <laughs> restaurants all the time they're in, in Concord. So uh, I I've got, pretty regular contact with most of them. And I told, you know, Nick white, who's uh, now kind of the, the in-house video guy there. I, I talk to him pretty regular and he'll, he'll reach out with questions about where he might find, you know, certain video stuff in the archives there at WRG. And uh, I'll, I'll always answer one of his phone calls to help make sure that stuff's still going good there. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in the same boat with Chris. Like I, I, like sometimes I talk to him once a week, multiple times a week. Sometimes it's once every couple of weeks, but now like he's been coming back because I don't know how many people know, but, but Chris, who's kind of like the main web guy now for world racing group is also a NASCAR photographer. Uh, mm -hmm. So I still see him pretty regularly at the track also on top of that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so like, you know, and, and he, he'll call me and he'll have a dirt car points question or he'll, you know, he'll like, you know, need a, you know, a, some help on a code file or, or, you know, he'll have, you know, oh, you did, you know, why did you do it this way? You know, what if you think about like, if I did it this way or something? And so it's like, it's nice to have those conversations once in a while, but I, I think what's great about at least what I'm doing right now is like, when I have questions about things, it's nice to like have those phone numbers because it's like, if I see something or I have a question about something, I can, I can text Megan or I can text Dunlap and I can ask questions and it's like, they get back to me quickly. And it's nice yep. to have those 
those opportunities. And, and I was doing it with Megan and I'm, I'm going to have even bigger conversations with Megan going forward because I have a thousand questions about promoting. And so I, it's nice to have those connections and, and be able to do that stuff. And I'm wondering for you, do you miss the dirt stuff? Like, obviously you're still in racing, you're still in motorsports and, and you can still watch Dirt Vision and pull up all of this stuff, but mm-hmm. do you miss kind of being part of the greater community as, as deeply as you were? I mean, Twitter kind of helps uh, uh, alleviate some of that. I still get to, um, you know, send out my stupid tweets during the races with any observations I have as I watch the shows on Dirt Vision. And, you know, there's occasionally, you know, there's, there'll be a few, and you know, there'll be that, that random just incredible race you watch on Dirt Vision. And I'll sit there and wish, damn, I wish I'd have been there shooting that to to tonight or something. And, um, or I'll, you know, see some great piece of video content that they put out and wish, well, that would have been a cool project to be a part of, but, um, I've still, I mean, it's, there's, there's so many dirt racers who are involved in, in NASCAR already that I still get to have I me mean, have enough conversations about sprint cars every, every week, be it on the pre-race grid of a cup race or in the shop at Stuart Haas that I, you don't really feel like you're, you're that far re- removed from, from it. That's like, for me, like one of the big reasons I'm doing what I'm doing is it's like, I, I left the company, but I don't want to like necessarily kind of be out of the community. And so it's like, mm-hmm. this has always kind of been a way for me to kind of stay involved in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, what races have you been to this year? What, uh, what dirt races? Uh, I went, I went to the Sunday day show at Bristol. Um, and then I went to the Saturday night at I-70 after we, we were all flown out there to be ready for the Kansas cup race the, the day following that. Uh, you caught actually a really cool moment when you were at Bristol with Stremi. Tell me about that. I was, so that, yeah, I forgot about that. I was, I was there for the outlaw late model races too, but, um, I just brought a camera and was shooting some footage to kind of help build up the the uh, B-roll lib- library there at WRG for the late models this year, but um, just stand there in victory lane. And I knew I, I, I had talked to Ashley Strimmy before the races that night. And she had kind of talked into just what, what winning at Bristol would mean for David after the, the, the pretty well-documented struggles that was his, his cup career uh, to an extent. And it, for the both of them, they just really wanted to, to visit victory lane there, even if it was in a dirt modified and not a NASCAR cup series car. Um, and so just her, like, a, 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 as soon as she walked up the the ramp to victory lane there at Bristol, after David took the checkered flag, just the, the tears were flowing and, and everything else. And I just had kind of tried to, to keep my eye on that kind of as the interviews went on. And then, you know, when the, interviews were done and everybody else kind of walked away. She kind of went in for, you know, for the hug finally. And, um, I, 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 I always said, no, if you ask me what any of my favorite video like shots were, you know, through my time at the outlaws or even now with Stuart Haas, like none of them are of cars on track. They're, they're all, it's all of, of, of people in, in moments like that. So, um, that's, those are the kind of shots that I just live forgetting is that human, that raw human emotion type stuff. 
when you do something like that as as a as a videographer as a photographer and, and we saw this you know me and you were talking it's it's thursday may 27th at this point this the sprint car race at Terre Haute happened last night where brady bacon goes for this incredible flip out of the park and and uh, there's some insane photos actually of that but as somebody who has done this for as long as you have how important is it to you know know those stories right and like you are always kind of a social butterfly right like when you go to the pit area like i feel like you know everybody and it's like for you to shoot, you know, to do it well, like, is it important for you to, to know the people and to understand those stories so that you can be ready for those moments? Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about my relationship building. I, I'm having to do it Stuart Haas now, but like the, that was one of the hardest things to, to kind of walk away from there at the outlaws was all the relationships with all the the crew guys on the various cars and because having like having those guys trust at least to, to me is everything where they don't think twice when you're hovering around the car or you walk up in the 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 trailer with them you know they know you're there doing your thing and, and you're not out to to screw them or embarrass them or or, or make them look foolish in any way you're 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 trying to make them look as cool as you can and give people that kind of inside access into what's going on. And um, I had to kind of, I've had to start from scratch on that now and kind of start building all those same relationships with crew chiefs and car chiefs and crew, crew guys here at Stuart Haas to kind of rebuild that same level of, of trust. So they, they don't think twice when they see me around with a camera in, in, in hand. Uh, with you being able to basically get to Bristol for, for at least some of the outlaw stuff, but then also going to Bristol for the NASCAR stuff, what were your impressions of, of that kind of first chance for, for NASCAR to be on the high banks of Bristol on the dirt? I mean, it was, it was, it was entertaining for sure. And I, I think they've, they've got notes to, to go back and, and make it better. I would hope it, you know, when we go back and do it next year, we could run the race at night that would be really cool. But, you know, cause I think we saw in that, that last 50 lap stage of that cup race on that Monday, when, you know, they did a big track rework and then went out there for the last 50 laps. Like there was some, some really good stuff there with Logano and with Hamlin. And that was after the sun went down and the track was shaded. And, and I, I think that really gave at least proof, proof of concept to how much better the track would hold up under a, a, evening or night show versus racing under the broad day daylight in there. But I think the, the craziest thing for that experience for me was just kind of seeing so many of the crew chiefs and, and, you know, team members kind of just out, out of their comfort zone um, and just having to learn a new vocabulary and everything. I think like one of the, one of, one of the funnier moments of the weekend for me was like, we were a couple hours before practice on that, that Friday of the weekend and Briscoe comes up to me in it in the infield and says, Hey, what, what, what outlaw race was it last year? That was like really, really bad rubber, rubbered up. Um, and like the first one that I thought of was one of those nights at, at Houston's last mm-hmm. fall. So I told him that, well, he goes back. Briscoe is using the highlights from an outlaw race in 2020 to explain what rubber down is to Johnny Klassmeyer, his hit, his crew, crew chief. Because for so many of the crew chiefs and other crew guys out there, like when the track got the littlest bit slicked off in their mind, that was rubbering up. So trying to 
Briscoe was using sprint car highlights to explain to all of his crew guys what the difference was in a slick track versus a, a rubbered up dirt, dirt track. And so that, 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 that was pretty funny just kind of watching those guys happen to, to kind of learn a whole new vocabulary and a whole new way of doing things through that weekend at Bristol. Uh, you mentioned Briscoe there, and obviously he's, he's somebody I want to ask you about because, you know, the, the famous Ross Weiss's couch, the, you know, Chase Briscoe was, was one of the, yeah, there it is, was one of the, the, uh, the tenants of, of, uh, Ross Weiss's couch at, at a certain point. What's it like, you know, obviously like he's a friend of yours and, and you've gotten to see him kind of rise to this point, but what's it like now, even like being in the building and, and, you know, doing video work with him and, and seeing him kind of go through all of this as, as he finds his way. It's, there's a, a lot of it. That's, I mean, he's, he's been in NASCAR long enough now that uh, a lot of it is kind of, I don't want to say I'm numb to any of it, but it's, it's, um, I would say it's, it's, it doesn't quite hit me as hard as it used to, but it, I mean, those, the first couple of weeks there at the shop was, was pretty cool to kind of, you know, he and I kind of back on the the same team, so to speak, because we, you know, kind of just, you know, life happens, so to speak. We, we hadn't been in as close a contact for the last several years, just as he got busy doing the truck and X, Xfinity stuff he was doing. And, and, you know, I was there at the outlaws and um, we kind of really kind of got kind of closer friends again through being back in the same building uh, now. So it's, uh, it's a lot of, been a lot of fun to work with him. You know, we, we sat next to each other on the plane on the way home from Coda and just talked dirt racing the whole time and, and talked talked about the race there at Coda and it's uh, it's just really really cool to see what he's been able to go on and accomplish and uh, kind of hopefully counting the days so till that first Cup win can come finally. Uh, your impressions so far this year of of what we've seen and you know whether that be Outlaws All Stars USAC like you know what are things that kind of stand out to you this season that you've that you've seen, you know, whether you've been at the track or, or, you know, watched on, on streaming. I've been, I mean, I, I don't think I've missed an outlaw race on uh, dirt vision this year, except for the ones I've been at, but um, it's, you know, short set for those few times when, you know, Brad street or Brad street, Brad sweet uh, kind of goes streaking with wins, so to speak. It's just remarkable how widespread the wins have been this year with David gravel, Carson Macedo, Logan Schuhart kind of just all, all these guys jumping up there and getting them. And, um, you know, it's, it's just really, I mean, it's a, a lot of people said it before the year started, but kind of we're seeing it play out, but just, this is, I think this is the, the deepest, the talent pool has been full time on the outlaw tour in quite some time. Um, and it's, it's just remarkable to watch these guys who are literally the best of the best, just line up and go at it weekend after weekend. What do you think about the situation with shots? Like, obviously, you know, we've been waiting for win 300 for, you know, a growing amount of time now, that last win being the National Open last year. Um, and, you know, before people hear this, uh, you know, this will probably come out next week when, you know, he very well may have won 300 by the time we talk about this. But, you know, where do you think, uh, you know, what do you think of that situation? You know, it, it, are we at a point where it's like we can't talk about it because it's like jinxing it every time we do talk about it? Like, wh- what are your feelings about this? I don't, I don't really buy into the whole jinx thing or, or whatever. You know, people are going to talk about it. They're going to talk about it. They're just, it's, it's the inevitable kind of ebb and flow of motorsports. You're on top. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing that working with Stuart Haas this year. They won like 18, 19 races across the Xfinity and Cup Series last year, and here we are June 1st and we're still kind of holding a big goose egg down in, in, in that column over there. So 
Um, I have no doubt that they'll get back on top at some point. You know, I, I, I sat as, as we're recording this, I sat and talked to Steve Post at Millbridge last night. Um, and he talked about, they had Lance DeWeese on the wing nation podcast this week, who just got 100 um, at Williams Grove finally. And it's, you know, Lance talked about on, on there about, you know, you kind of, kind of get right to the threshold of these big, you know, monumental numbers. And there's just some kind of block that exists there all of a sudden. And then once you finally break through that and the sky's the limit, you can go on a tear again. So I'm sure once, once they get, they put that perfect night together and Donnie can crack off 300, there's no reason he can't go out and win 10 more after that. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Larson. I mean, you know, obviously what we saw last year was, was beyond insane. Um, but now like he's a, like a late model racer. Like that's, he, he, that's just like, we're seeing him more in the late model than we're seeing him in anything else. And now like, I heard this week that like, he could potentially like be one of the people that could go win the dream or one of the dreams. Yeah. Like how insane is it that this guy just like, he just code switches and like one second, he's a sprint car racer winning more races than anybody has won in, in years, maybe ever. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to go run this late model over here. And like, now he's like one of the top guys every time he shows up. Yeah. It, I mean, it just speaks as a, a massive Testament to the the talent that he has. And um, I think what did, what did I see? Wikipedia trying to stir the pot the other night pointing out that it's, it's almost June and Robert Bell has more sprint car wins. I saw that. Kyle Larson, but um, you know, it, I'm he's gonna win some sprint car races. It it it's gonna happen. Well, as we talk about it, he might win tonight. So yeah, who, who knows? It, it it's it's gonna happen at some point. Yeah, I, I feel like you know the the it, it it can't be glossed over the fact that he is in incredible equipment, right? Like when he's gone and run the midget, he's in good midgets. You know, the 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 sprint car that he has is with Paul Silva is obviously incredible and and you know, everybody in dirt late model racing knows what Kevin Rumley is, is capable of and what he's done in the past. So, you know, that can't be overlooked, but the fact that he just like a couple of weeks ago, rolled into Brownstown, a track he's never raced at and just like whipped up on everybody for whatever 10 grand that night. And, you know, a couple of nights ago crashes and qualifying and still finishes third in the feature or whatever, you know, top five in the feature. And then, you know, the fact that he could legitimately go to Eldora and like it's, I think it's the all-star race weekend at Texas or something like that. They were saying he could potentially run both nights because he, he could still make the travel work. I, I, I can't even fathom that like being possible, like for literally anybody else on the planet. And I'm sure that there are guys that could do both that could, you know, be moderately successful. Like if you put, you know, a Brandon Shepard or, or, you know, you know, maybe even Davenport or something like this. If you put one of those guys in a sprint car that they couldn't figure it out and, and run respectably and, and then vice versa, that there aren't some sprint car guys that could do that with late models. But the fact that he just all of a sudden is like one of these top guys, like I just, I can't even almost like wrap my brain around. It. And I feel like I've talked about it so much, like with my daily shows and stuff that it's like, I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's like so insane that I, I find myself talking about it probably way too much. It's like, yeah. it's crazy. It, it really irritates me. The people who try to degrade what he's accomplishing by using the, well, he's in the best equipment everywhere he, he goes argument. Yeah. Is but there... how many guys are in the best? I mean, like what you've seen, what Brandon Shepard has done this year yeah. or not done. And like, no one would question the fact that like the rocket house car is not one, one of the, the top two or three race cars on the planet. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's, and it, it's, it's not just the equipment he's in, but it's how 
he can flip that switch to go to that different mental place for that car he's in. Just, you know, it's, it's not like he's got to have a, you know, I've, well, I've got to throw away hot laps in the heat tonight while I get reacquainted with the car. No, you get in a different car and you're ready to go. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's remarkable how quickly he can flip that switch, go to that different skill set, and be ready to rock as soon as he sets in a different race car. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. Uh, you mentioned Millbridge there. I know you were out there the last couple of nights. Uh, the racing with the last two nights was pretty badass. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Walsh went 15 to second, rolling some hot bottom last last, last night. There were yeah. Millbridge. It was uh, a really interesting race last night. Track was very, very slick by by Millbridge standards. So, you know, Gavin Beauchelle got out front and led. Uh, Watching him try to defend and the sliders and, I mean, just nuts. Yeah, it, it's just bomb after bomb at that at that place when it's kind of ripped the fence. But the 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 bottom really came in it into play really nice. I'd say that that was the most even two grooves I've ever seen that racetrack be. Like if a guy wanted to get up and absolutely pound the fence, it was faster up there. But um, they it was really even top and bottom, good racing everywhere. You know, Dylan passed a lot of cars. Buddy Kofoid and uh, Christopher Bell's car passed a lot of cars. You know, Gavin Bochel was out front early. He broke a motor that let Neil Neil Allison through, I believe was his name, to to wind up winning it. But uh, just a really cool racetrack to have 10, 15 minutes down the road from my house here now. So I, I really enjoy heading out there every week. As somebody who has, uh, you know, I, I don't know much about the micro world. You know, I... I haven't watched a ton of Tulsa shootout racing or, you know, I didn't grow up like around it. Obviously, obviously you've been around it a lot in, in your life and, and, you know, in, with where you grew up, is that common with the micros to have racing like that? Is, is that how the races just kind of go down? It's, I mean, it's like anything else. It, it's very track dependent. Um, you know, I grew up at the Southern Illinois raceway in Marion, Illinois, uh, back home. And, you know, when the place was right, it, it was pound the cushion and it was roll the berm on, on the bottom or third, you know, throw a slider if you had to, and it's a great racing, but it's, you know, it's, it's just like any other car. It's that they can be very track de- de- dependent and get you know, pretty bottom dominant. If it's too good down there, pretty top dominant, if it's too good up, up there, but they're, they're just there. I'm, I'm so enjoying that the, you know, 600 CC micro sprints are, are kind of finally taking off here in the, the Carolinas and, and, and that, Millbridge is building up a really good base of them because they're they're such fun cars to watch race every week and at least for me personally I relate to them so much better than I do the the outlaw carts that were ha- that were the the main attraction at at Millbridge for so long so um you know they're but they're consistently getting 25 30 guys a week for a Wednesday night show at uh Millbridge anymore so it, it's just it's really cool to see the, those cars kind of take off in this area now um where else are we going to see you this year what other i mean are you going to try to hit up more dirt stuff i mean obviously you're going to have to try to fit that in with your nascar schedule but do you have plans to hit up any stuff this year i'm hoping i've i've been looking um i've been you know i'm really disappointed i'm going to sonoma here in a couple weeks and i can't really find any good appealing dirt races the saturday night before sonoma to go check up while 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 we're out in cali and my favorite Italian place in Calistoga closed down. So I can't even go, go visit that when I'm out there now, but um, I'm looking, you know, I'm hoping there's not necessarily a whole lot of shows where you're both, you're both in a part of the country with a really good open wheel scene and be the, the 
the, the timing of when we arrive or depart work to getting to go see a show is like, we've got a double great double header coming up at, at Pocono here in a, a month or so, but the races both start at three, three thirty in the afternoon each time. And by the time you're done with that, you'd have an hour and a half, two hour drive to get somewhere. Like there's, there's no time to make it anywhere that, that night. So um, I'm, I'm hoping it, it may be a few weeks till I get to out to some big major dirt race again, but I'm, I'm, I'm always double checking the schedules before I get ready to go travel somewhere to try to sneak one in when I'm out on the road. Have you done any of the like Gaffney's or, or any of that other stuff this year? I did. I did go to Gastonia for a Carolina sprint tour race. That was with George, our, right? Our, our good buddy, George Lauks had, yeah. had hit a new 305 out for the first night. So uh, myself and my fiance Ashlyn went out there and hung out with him for the night to watch how that went. And, um, that's a, it's a really cool, uh, group that those Carolina sprint tour guys are building. They've got, they're getting in the high teens to low twenties cars every night now. And it's, um, it's, it's a really good group they're putting together, trying to build a, you know, the, the Carolinas really aren't a hotbed of open wheel racing of any kind. And, um, it's, it's kind of slowly, but surely taken on a really good foothold out here and, uh, kind of building a, 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 a good solid sprint car base in, in this area where folks out here can consistently see sprint car racing week in and week out. Cause like when I first moved out here, the only time the Carolinas really saw sprint cars were like maybe two weekends where the USCS 360 cars would, would, would roll through in the year. And then the May outlaw race and world finals in November. So um, the Carolina Sprint Tour is kind of definitely kind of filling a, a gap out here in the Carolinas and, and getting open wheel racing in front of this fan base on a more consistent basis. Uh, do you already have your Chili Bowl vacation time? Is that like, was that part of your deal with Stuart Haas? And it's I, like, I, I, I have hey, not. At, at, this, at this point, I have to go to Tulsa. They, 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 they already know how important that week is to me because like I've got my whole everything set up in, in my cubicle from when I, you know, we raced it in 2017, but um, I haven't had those exact conversations yet, but. Could you I, work I, that like, and make it a work trip because Briscoe, like, is he going to bring cars all the time? Like he's a car. That's owner, 100% the game I plan to try to run. Okay. Already. I've been building that about trying to just provide Stuart Haas content the whole week when, when I, I, I'm out there to justify my presence for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I I actually used you this year for uh, for some video work at, at Chili yeah, Bowl, so uh, it's uh, it's it's fun to see that stuff. Well, Russ, I will uh, let you go. We've been going here for forty five minutes, and I'm sure your your fiance would love to hang out with you a little bit before you have to. Are you working this weekend? Uh, I'm actually not working the six hundred this weekend. No, really. This, this is like the the one week like in seven in a row that I'm I'm not scheduled to work. So this I'm is gonna... like one of the best weeks to work in NASCAR because you get to sleep in your own bed. I'm going to still sleep in my own bed and then enjoy the race from my couch with yeah. a cold drink in my hand. So the best um, part is like, for me is, I mean, I live in Harrisburg. The racetrack is like three miles from my house. So like it, last year when we had rainouts and stuff, like I would come home. In the <laughs> so, cause I'm like super close. And then I would just yeah. like watch Twitter to see when things would yeah. come back and then I'd go back over to the racetrack. But yeah. well, damn, I'm, I was going to say, I'll see you at the racetrack this weekend, but I'm not going to see you at the racetrack this week. I'll be back at Sonoma. That's my next one. I love the Sonoma trip, by the way. It's like yeah. one of my favorite trips. I was so bummed that we didn't get to do it last year, but the Sonoma trip is always super fun. It'll be my first time getting to go there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to crossing that place off the list too. So it's like, if you, it, the way the road course is laid out there, it's like kind of on the side of a hill. And it's like, literally, if you stand in the right places, you can actually see dang near the whole racetrack. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really been, fun. 
I've been having so much fun getting to go to all, I mean, this is like the most new racetracks I've gone to in a short amount of time ever. What's season. the count at right now? Like total? Yeah. I don't even, I don't even know what the total racetrack count is, but I've just been going to so You haven't updated the spreadsheet in a while? So, so many of these cup series vi- venues have been like new stops for me. And like we were, we were there in the infield in at Coda and one of my, uh, bosses there asked well how are you taking to the figuring out the new facility i'm like this this a new facility isn't just this weekend for me like this has been an every weekend feeling for yeah. me trying to so first time in the infield at daytona first time in the infield at at phoenix first time in the infield at atlanta first time in the infield at dover first time this everywhere has been new places for me everywhere i've gone this year so yeah it's like the the where am i parking how am i getting in the infield and, and like we had that this last week in Dakota for us, because when we put all three series and it's like, where are we putting pit boxes? Where are we putting tires? How are we parking? Like, you know, it's like all of these things. And it's like, now that we've been there, it's like, okay, now we'll have a game plan for the next time we go. But trying to figure all that stuff out on the fly is, uh, is the biggest silly. question though that has to get answered every week is what's the shortest path back to the airport. Oh, oh yeah. I've been learning. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, we have like, we have a system. So like we, we are one of the best at on pit road at tearing down our box. Like we, we've been doing it for, you know, four, almost four years together now. And like, we can have our box tore down real fast. And so like we tear the box down and then we help as much as we can load the trailer. But then our goal is always to beat our road crew out of the track. And our plane is like our team and then like a handful of other people. So it's like, if we get there, we get basically our choice of seats anywhere on the plane. So the biggest goal for us is just making sure we beat the road crew out. This weekend at Coda, we had we parked outside at Coda both days. We had an infield parking pass for Sunday, but it was full by the time we got there, so we had to park outside. I literally ran, f- and and you were there, so you know. We parked in the T lot, which was up the hill. I ran a f- ran up that hill. I ran up that hill. Oh, I ran from the garage that. area all the that. out the tunnel and up the hill to get the van. I come down the hill, and by the time I was down the hill, our guys were coming out of the tunnel. Literally, they're loading in the van as we pull out. Our road crew is the next car coming out of the tunnel. <laughs> so that's the that's the game we play every week <laughs> so there's Stuart haas has two two planes yeah the game every week is that you want to get on the first one yeah gotta make plane one yeah so it's it's a mad dash every trying to make plane one when i worked at roush like back in the day roush had two really big planes and so the game was always and you would start texting people like you either wanted to be early for the first plane so you could get your choice, but then, cause those were three wide planes. So like you would have to sit middle if you came late yeah. so you start texting to see how many people were on the plane. And then if there was a lot of people already there, then you drag your feet. So then you yeah. could get your choice of seats on the second plane. Yeah. And these are like, these are the things nobody ever sees and nobody ever talks oh, yeah. about. This is the stuff we deal with every week. Yeah. <laughs> or like after hearing you talk about it so long, I, I kind of laughed when I saw how many of our guys on the plane break out their Nintendo switches to start oh, yeah. playing with real card as soon as the flight's in the air. So yep. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a deal for sure. For sure. Well, Ross, thanks for uh, doing this. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably do it again at some point in the future, but we got the first one out of the way. I feel like we had to do the, the initial open red reunion and then now we can just do normal things going forward. Absolutely. bud. thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a really cool thing you have going here with dirt tracker in the, in the whole conversation series. So uh, I, I enjoy listening when I get a change. I've, I've got like a half hour drive to the shop in the morning. So that's my, my podcasting time. It'll take me kind of two and three round trips to get done with some interviews occasionally. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's a really cool deal. Thanks for having me on.
If you'd like to keep up with Ross's NASCAR and dirt racing adventures, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Ross Weiss and check out his YouTube channel. He's got a ton of cool onboard videos and a bunch more stuff there. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit DirtTracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.